What's up? It's Brent. It's another Burgundy Blogcast. I'm recording in the 10 o'clock hour on the evening of Tuesday, October 24th, roughly two full days after the Commanders lost in New Jersey to the Giants 14 to 7, their record dropping to 3 and 4. The Giants are bad. The Giants are heavily injured. But it doesn't matter. The Commanders are worse. And once again, Washington football deeply sucks, and it's time to blow it all up. Maybe not this week, but the very second this doomed season concludes. This game ended like uh, 54-ish hours ago. So by now, anyone listening to this podcast has no doubt already listened to 11 other podcasts about it and read 50 articles, and you know everything that happened and why. So I'm going to just really quickly run through a few small picture game takes and then zoom out for some deep thoughts. Um, Much maligned Cody Barton got hurt pretty early in this game after having had a good game in week six. Kalik Hudson was, in fact, not the primary replacement. David Mayo played much more in Barton's absence, and Mayo was worse than Barton. He might know the defense, but he's a brutal liability in pass pro, or rather, pass coverage. I'm not saying Barton's been good, but it became pretty clear why Del Rio never took him off the field before he suffered this high ankle injury. Uh, Rookie running back Chris Rodriguez, he got some carries very early in the game. He got some carries very late in the game. He was more productive with them than Brian Robinson has been in the last couple of games. They definitely like him, and I think he will continue to play more and more. Sam Howell, uh, six more sacks. I don't think he was blameless in these. There was at least one, possibly two, where I thought he could have done more to avoid them either by moving better or throwing it away. But yeah, this was definitely the first game where that harassment issue seemed far, far more the responsibility of the offensive line than the quarterback. By the way, we saw in this game why he is so afraid sometimes to throw it away like we as fans think he should be able to so easily do. He had a damaging grounding penalty, and of course he had the um, what, what should have been the easiest pick six of Kayvon Thibodeau's life. He really does need to work on intentional incompletions. Anyway, Howell in the first half was just straight up not good, and the second half he was, I guess, okay. But even then, they only got in the end zone when they got that super short field from the muffed punt. So overall, definitely not a good one for Howell's resume. Wiley looked bad again in this game like usual. Gates looked really bad, and he's been progressively worse over the last two to three weeks. Leno, I think, was his usual mediocre self. And Sadiq Charles finally got injured. I assume he'll miss time. Uh, He actually lasted a few weeks longer than I expected. Chase Young, two sacks in the first half. Um, At least another half sack was negated by penalty later. Now, of, the, of those two, one, he was um, totally unblocked by accident, and the other was on Justin Pugh, who famously was unemployed a couple of weeks ago. But I will say, um, Chase Young, in his six games so far, he looks fully healthy and explosive, and he has been disruptive. Uh, I'll come back to him probably a little bit later. Good game for him, and good season for him. Um, the only reason the Commanders were even in this game against a bad and heavily injured team were the two straight-up gifts given to them by Sterling Shepard on the muffed punt and Kayvon Thibodeau on the dropped pick. You are rarely going to see such generosity even once in a game, 
let alone twice. Terry McLaurin was awesome in the second half once they finally started getting him involved. He's the only reason they even had a chance. He had at least two catches with insanely high degree of difficulty. I thought Rivera had two ridiculous, in fact, inexcusable in-game coaching blunders, both in the second quarter, one in failing to call timeout to prevent a third and five from turning into a third and ten, and the other, in fact, uh, even more egregious in my opinion, not calling timeout to force the Giants to punt at the very end of the, of the first half. You're down 14. You need every possible opportunity to make a play. Forcing the other team to punt in their own territory allows you at least the opportunity to either block it or return it. His refusal to use a timeout on that, a first-half timeout, was either paralysis or surrender. His explanation after the game that, quote, enough was enough, makes no sense and is embarrassing. Um, last meaningful play, uh, Dotson's getting killed for dropping that ball that probably would have been a first, maybe a touchdown. I guess he should have had it, uh, had hands on it, but for me, that was a bad throw and I don't really blame him. All right, some things, uh, in general about the state of the team as they sit now seven weeks in three and four, a point differential of minus 50 on the season getting ready to host the Eagles uh, and get completely invaded by Philadelphia and also with the trade deadline fast approaching. Basically, I don't see any hope for this season. I mean, in terms of being taken seriously in January. Obviously, they're far from mathematically eliminated. And actually, the defense, based on Jack Del Rio's history in Washington, could theoretically turn this around and become, you know, at least average or maybe even good in the second half. But the offense is fatally flawed by the unfortunate combination of Howell not knowing how to avoid pass rushers yet, uh, the offensive line not being able to pass block, and Eric Bieniemy being allergic to running plays. So the offense is, is almost certainly not going to turn it around in my view. And I actually think that the defense this year in particular, with Rivera being so obviously a lame duck, and Del Rio similarly, I just really doubt that they're going to summon their powers and magically find the chemistry this time. Ron Rivera came here to Washington under very, very difficult circumstances, hired by arguably the worst owner in sports. And of course, he had to deal with, in addition to some very difficult personal obstacles in the first couple seasons here, including his own cancer treatment and I think the death of his father. He also, as we all know, had to deal with all the nonsense with the investigations and just the horrible reputation of, of the franchise. And let me be clear, he has been, to some degree, to, to a non-trivial degree, a steadying force, a stabilizing influence for three and a half years. But right about now, uh, he's really starting to irritate me and I am way over it. His in-game coaching and decision-making is super questionable, seems like every week. His public remarks these days in press availability are mostly excuses and face-saving. He just routinely gets exposed for being more reactive than proactive, and even worse, reactive with questionable instincts. Yesterday, he went on and on about how things aren't really that bad and this isn't really his fault because Sam Howell is young. Well, if you're like me, you just don't care. Now, I actually understand the arguments for not firing him right now or in the middle of the season. There's just not an obvious good replacement. Most people would say if there is one, it's enemy, but there's a couple problems with that. First of all, I'm not even sure it is enemy. I mean, the most senior 
assistant, obviously, is Del Rio. In fact, Del Rio has been head coach of two teams previously. He's actually the natural backup head coach here. Um, of course, the problems with that, though, are that, number one, there's, there's no natural backup defensive coordinator, and number two, if Rivera gets canned, it's certainly possible that Del Rio does, too, because it's his unit that was um, expected to be so much better than it is and, and is clearly uh, so clearly underperforming. As for Biennemi, I just think that, yeah, I mean, you could view it as a tryout or a trial run, but you'd be putting him in just such a difficult, almost unwinnable situation. I mean, I'm not even sure he would want that tryout. He would be pretty well set up for failure. And, you know, I'm not sure that wouldn't hurt his chances of being a head coach someday in the league, whether here or elsewhere, more than it would help. So I get those reasons. And Therefore, I guess if Josh Harris wants to just let him dangle and, uh, you know, eventually hang himself even harder, then I guess I'll just continue to wait. But the best argument, I think, for doing something now, for eliminating Rivera from the equation soon, particularly with some time to spare before the trade deadline, is that there is no one on this coaching staff or in this current front office who is properly incentivized uh, today to focus even one day further into the future than the end of this current season, which I believe, as previously stipulated, is doomed. Rivera, Mayhew, Herney, Stokes, all of them are certainly wiped out, goners, barring an absolutely miraculous turnaround. So why on earth would they make any decisions in the coming weeks designed to improve anything other than the team's chances of winning more games in 2023? They're not going to save. They're not going to invest. They're not going to defer. They're going to just hope and pray. And of course, I do know that it's not at all practical or realistic to hope to replace them with um, their permanent successors with the next GM of the franchise uh, now. But uh, here we all are living out the problem of having a lame duck head coach. It may seem unorthodox, but I actually do think that some version of a temporary GM, a placeholder GM, likely some famous, high-profile, respectable, former successful GM, probably coming out of retirement, whose express goal and job responsibility, job description, is to help tee up the team for next year and beyond. I actually, I actually would feel better about having someone like that in charge, because that person, even if new to the organization, would have some capacity and natural motivation to be at least somewhat forward-focused. In fact, exclusively forward-focused, and I think that would benefit the franchise. I don't particularly care who would become the interim head coach. I'm looking for a full reboot. I'm not a thousand percent out on Biennemi just yet. I mean, he has improved the offense in some ways, but he's been so extreme with the passing. I think he's been so stubborn with the problem of the sack-taking. I'm just very, very far from sold on him right now as the next head coach. And I think the chances are dwindling slowly that he survives the massacre. So for all I care, go ahead and make it Del Rio. He knows, you know, at least how to go through the motions. Maybe just let him continue to call the defense too. Let the enemy take care of the offense. But basically, removing Ron and wiping out the front office would go a long way towards neutralizing this conflict of interest regarding the target time frame for success. So mainly, what would the substitute GM be doing? Well, a few things. Number one, he would be trying aggressively to sell off every player on an expiring contract who's not even a realistic candidate for the franchise tag. 
Number two, he would immediately start or accelerate the process of identifying the top candidates for the next permanent GM. And number three, maybe he could put a little more pressure, at least on Biennemi, than Rivera is currently doing to not get Sam Howell permanently traumatized or killed. Now, that's probably the last I'm going to say about this admittedly unconventional suggestion because I understand there's not a ton of support for it. And more importantly, because if they don't do it in the next few days, it actually won't matter anyway. It will become moot. And we can all just continue to uh, watch Rivera spin his wheels and make excuses for a couple more months. As for trades, uh, you're definitely keeping Terry McLaurin. You're definitely keeping both John Allen and Deron Payne uh, because of the contracts, really, if for no other reason, but also because they're truly good. I personally am really not married to anyone else, including Cam Curl. But I will lastly say this, bring it back home to Chase Young. Um, I'm, I'm back to believing again in Chase Young. I don't know that he is like the ultimate team first player, but I, I do not sense that the attitude is a, is a big problem. And in fact, sometimes it seems like the enthusiasm is a true asset. Anyway, I have seen in him um, in a month and a half the, uh, the two things that, that I definitely needed and wanted to see to believe again that he could and will be elite at a key position. One is a return to full health, which seems evident. And two is production, which is undeniable. Because although the sack numbers are not outrageous, he is absolutely getting to the quarterback with high frequency. And he is making plays. So unless somebody totally blows me away with um, a trade offer, like I'm thinking of first, uh, I'm probably trying to keep Chase Young tag him if necessary, work out an extension. I'm then very open to trading Montez Sweat, hoping for a third. I just don't think it's smart to tie up so much of your cap with four enormous contracts on the defensive line. And that's that for now. So maybe I'll meet you back here in a few days after Eagles fans have turned FedEx green and we're looking at three and five and the pitchforks come out for real.